Welcome to this week's message at Corner Bible Church. We're so glad that you could join us. If you'd like more information on our church, you could check us out at our website, cornerbiblechurch.com, or you can like or follow us on Facebook. Now here's this week's message. Thank you for listening. We've been in Luke chapter 8 for a couple weeks now. We're actually going to finish it up this morning. We'll be in verses 40 through 56. Luke 8, 40 through 56. You are a note taker this morning. Uh, the title of today's message is called A Deeper Healing. A Deeper Healing. More second to turn there. Start in verse 40 and go through 48, and then I'll pray. It says this Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about twelve years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind Jesus and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately the discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowd surrounds you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. When the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling. And falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Let's pray this morning. Father, we want to open up this time with you in surrender. Father, in this season, it's so easy to get busy with good things, good things with family, good things with get-togethers, and good food, and all of those things. It's so easy to get distracted. God, this morning, I want us to be able to submit to you our burdens, the doubts that chew at the corners of our minds, our anxieties. Father, we thank you that you are the great healer. Open our eyes to see what you are doing in our lives this morning. Tune our broken melodies to be closer to you. Don't let us leave this place unchanged this morning. In your name. So in this text that we just read together, we get to see the story of two desperate people seeking healing from Jesus. The first one that's seeking healing is a ruler of the synagogue, and he's there on behalf of his daughter. And the second one is a poor woman. On the one hand, you have the synagogue leader who would have been well-known, who would have been respected, would have been established. He would be a guy you'd recognize his face instantly. 
And on the other hand is a woman so innocuous the text doesn't even tell us her name, and probably you wouldn't have given her a second glance. Someone at the very top of the social totem pole in this town, and someone probably near the very bottom. But what made them so similar is that they were both seeking healing. And that crowd on the shore as they waited for Jesus to approach. And I'm sure among those other faces, there was plenty of other people seeking things from Jesus too. And as I was thinking about it this week, as I was prepping and praying, I think we all find ourselves on that beach. I think all of us, if we are honest, we are all seeking healing too. We all have these broken situations in each of us. And maybe it's not physical. Maybe it's not a life-threatening issue. But all of us are touched by our brokenness. Whether it's the brokenness that we have caused ourselves or whether it's the brokenness of other people that's been shoved on us, we are touched by brokenness. And I think another similarity that we have with these two people in this story is we learn that these people, in a couple minutes, we learn that they have tried everything. They've tried to find healing. They've tried to find the cure. But they end up lacking. And I think many times we are the same. We search for healing. We search for things that are going to fix us. And I think sometimes we come to the conclusion that nothing's going to change us. And have you ever felt stuck with something before? You're like, I'm ne- this is never changing? I've been there. Yeah, I bet there's people in here this morning that believe your marriage will never be fixed. There's some people in here this morning that believe you're probably always going to struggle with addiction. You're always going to struggle with lust or anger or bitterness or fill in the blank. Or maybe you believe that you are always going to be emotionally wounded by that thing that happened to you. We're looking for healing. That's the funny thing about the church. We really aren't all that different from those people on the beach, on the shore, waiting for Jesus. We are the broken people searching for healing, and not just a topical healing, but something that is going to truly set us free from a deeper spiritual healing. And when you really boil down this passage, that's what this is about. This passage is not just about the physical healings that take place in both of these situations. It is about that, but it is about something deeper. It is about the deeper spiritual healing that only Jesus can bring. Them to us. See that we have to jump into our text. Take a look down at verse 40 with me again. It says, Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were waiting for him. And there came a man by name of Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. We're introduced back to the text here, and Jesus is coming back across the Sea of Galilee. If you remember last week, Pastor Dave 
did an awesome job. He was talking about uh, when Jesus healed the demon-possessed man over in the land of the Gerasenes. And we were talking about that, how this man was set free from that a demonic spirit. And now Jesus is coming back, and people have caught word that Jesus is coming back, and everyone is waiting for that boat. There's a bunch of needs. And what Luke does in this story is he points out one specific man by the name of Jairus who is there, and he gives us one key detail about him. He's the ruler of a synagogue, and he falls at Jesus' feet begging for help. And I think this is an important detail, because we have to remember something, is that Jesus is not super popular with the religious folk. He's not super popular with them. In fact, they're trying to kill him right now. They're planning to kill him right now. So if you are a part of the established church in uh, this world, in this context, you are very socially pressured to keep your distance from Jesus. You're pressured to keep your distance from Jesus. But this man is at a point in his life where he doesn't care about the social pressure anymore. He just wants to uh, help his daughter. You ever get to those points in your life where you don't care, you're so desperate for help that you don't care where it comes from anymore? You're like, I need to fix this thing. That's where this man is. His daughter is ill. We don't know how long, we don't know how long this process has been, whether it's been sudden or whether it's been a long time, but my guess is he's probably a pretty good dad. He's been trying. He's probably called all the doctors. Probably called all the physicians. He's tried all the essential oils. He did everything. But none of it worked. His daughter is on the brink of death. He finds himself at Jesus' feet, begging for Jesus to help him. To a surprise, Jesus does. Take a look back down at your text. And Jesus went. And the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she spent all her living on physicians, uh, and she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately the discharge of blood ceased. So as they move away from the shore to this man's house, the entire crowd goes with them. They're like, what in the world is going to happen here? And they start just going like this, I picture, shimmying over. It's a pretty tight squeeze. And the story here... Let's us in on another character. We don't know much about her. We're not told her name. She's just known as the woman. What we do know about her is that she has suffered for years. A chronic condition. And this is not like a minor thing where it's just like, ah, this is just kind of uh, inconvenient for me. This would have very much profoundly affected her life. See, not only is this just a a bad medical condition for her, her condition would have left her ceremonially unclean in the Jewish religious system. There were things of getting close to God in that day where she would have been prevented. This is something that has ostracized her. This is something that has profoundly affected her life. In fact, to the point that she has tried everything. It says she has spent any money that she has ever gotten anywhere on doctors. She spent everything. When she hears that Jesus' bow is coming across that Sea of Galilee, she wanted to make sure she was in that group that was going to have a chance for help. 
And I picture as, as everybody's uh, shimmying across, she's busting her way through the crowd, and she, I just picture her lunging and getting the fringe of his garment. It probably wasn't that dramatic. That's my idea. If I was writing The Chosen, that's what I would do, right? And she falls and hits him. And to her surprise, immediately it's healed. Immediately, this thing that has affected her life, that has uh, probably uh, severed relationships, has has severed her uh, community with her church, has severed everything, is healed, taken care of. She probably feels relief in this moment, but the thing that also happens as soon as she heals, it gets healed, is that Jesus stops. The whole crowd stops, and it says, and Jesus said... Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus says, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling, falling down before him, and declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And Jesus said to her, Daughter, Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Jesus asked, who touched me? Who touched me? This is a crowded situation. I kind of picture it if you're on Black Friday at Target waiting for the doors to open and they come open and you just get shoved, right? And you're like, who shoved me? And you're like, everybody shoved you, right? That's what Peter says. He's like, Jesus, who touched you? There's like 20 guys named Levi right around you. Like, there's a bunch of people. Pick your pick. But for Jesus, this question is rhetorical. He's God. He knows exactly who touched him. He didn't ask the question for his edification. He asked it for the woman. Because here's the thing that's really important about this text, is that Jesus wasn't just after her experiencing a physical, topical healing. He was after a deeper healing. A spiritual healing. And what I love about this text is that it, in one verse, destroys the prosperity, health, and wealth uh, Jesus gospel. It shows it to be a farce. The healing was important. Jesus wanted to physically heal her, but there was a deeper need here. We see the woman falls before Jesus. She falls at Jesus' feet, and maybe she thinks Jesus is going to reverse the healing because she uh, initiated it rather than him. But to her surprise, Jesus gets down on her level. Picture he gets down. He lifts her chin. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Look at the Greek here. It literally says, your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. See, what Jesus is getting at here is he's saying, daughter, you've been seeking healing everywhere. You've been looking for change everywhere. You've been looking for hope everywhere. And you haven't found it. Daughter, now you have. It's here. 
for free. And church, that same message is here today. And it begs us to ask a question that is, is vital for all of us to ask ourselves as church, where do you find your healing? Because I think there's a lot of us searching for healing in a lot of different places. Some of us are in the room right now and are suffering, and rather than looking in the mirror and dealing with the things that are going on in our heart, we would much rather avoid it. We numb the pain. We get away from the pain and we uh, just avoid it. Some of us this morning are looking and using other people to heal us. Some of us are using our jobs. Some of us are using our cultural identities in various subcultures to define who we are, using their templates for our healing. Church, that is not where our healing comes from. Our healing does not come from chasing our thoughts or ideas of what we think our lives should look like. Our healing does not come from our plans of what we want to do. Our healing does not come from our finances. Our healing does not come from our relationships. Our healing does not come from our government. Healing is in Christ alone. And church, if you start trying to find healing in other places, you're going to fall flat on your face every single time. Without exception, you will fall flat on your face. I mentioned a couple weeks ago that I've been, I've been walking through a hard season. And I'll tell you, I'm an avoider at heart. Any other avoiders in the room? It's like, I just want to numb it and just move on. I'm going to avoid this thing. I'm an avoider. And I'll tell you what, there's been so many temptations over the past several weeks for me to just avoid the situations, to dive into some hobbies, just to forget. But I'm also a control freak. Any control freaks in the room? I get the worst of both worlds sometimes. And I want to jump in and grab the reins and just whip the joystick around and try and figure out where I want things to go. And God's message in this whole season for me has been consistent. Lean into him. Trust him. Keep walking. Because when it comes down to it, guys, it's not our situations that need to change. It's not our circumstances that need to change. It's us. It's me. He's changing me. And if you are a believer in this room, he is changing you. And all of these difficult scenarios that are in your life, all of these shards of broken glass that we keep running to, into are the things that God is using to point you back to him. Are the vehicles that he is using to bring us closer to him. He asks us to come close. Text continues here. It says this. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the master anymore. 
In the midst of this beautiful moment where this woman has now become clean, has become uh, uh, set free, has become uh, healed, all of these big things that are happening, everybody's probably wowed. In the middle of all of this, the crowd opens up for an emissary from this man's home that his daughter is dying, and he says, I'm sorry. Don't trouble Jesus anymore. It's over. Done. And I think it's important for us to imagine the hopelessness this man felt in the moment. How many of you ever had a time where your worst fears became realized about something? Oof. That's what's happening here. The worst case scenario just happened. The text continues. And Jesus hearing this, said, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. Jesus uses this moment to speak truth into the situation. Do not fear, only believe, she will be well. Jesus knows the answer. He knows the next five minutes. He knows that this man's about to receive his daughter back. This man doesn't know that. This man has seen person after person after person and read history books of people dying and living and dying and living and the natural progression of things is that when you die, you don't come back. You come back from being sick. You don't come back from being dead. That's not the natural order of things. So he doesn't know. He's actually believing a lie. What's interesting is his hopelessness is based on a lie and Jesus knows the truth. According to the world standards, the situation was over. No way to come back from death. And what Jesus says here is that death doesn't have the final word, I do. What he does is he speaks hopeless hope into the hopelessness of this man's situation, just as Jesus, or the Holy Spirit in us, speaks hope into the hopelessness of our situations. There's many of us in this room this morning that are believing lies. Maybe it's the lie of your marriage can't be fixed. Maybe it's the lie of you are in this miracle round of a sins problem where you are struggling with a sin. You fall into it. You ask for forgiveness because you feel horrible. And you're like, I'm never doing that again. And you get right back on that miracle round You fall into it. You ask for forgiveness. You get back up. You get right back on the miracle round You fall over again the next day. And you're in this cycle. And you're like, I'm never going to change. I can't change. Maybe you're in a season where you just feel like things are not going to get better. Things won't get better. Maybe God's not going to provide for you. Or maybe God doesn't love me anymore. Or maybe uh, fill in the blank. The beautiful thing about the gospel is that it speaks truth into the midst of our doubt. The gospel invites us to doubt our doubts rather than our faith. And there's probably many of us in this room right now where it feels like the gray cloud is close and tight and maybe you don't know the next step. You don't know what's next. and Maybe you don't even know if this night will ever end. And maybe you're even reaching out to God in this season and you're asking God, what's the deal, man? What's the deal? I thought you loved me. 
When is this going to be different? Will it ever be different? Maybe right now your faith feels a little cracked. Faith feels a little bruised. If that's you this morning, I want you to silence that voice in your head for a moment. Silence that voice in your head for a moment. It'll be there when you get back. Did you hear something? The gospel is still true. Gospel is still true. Situation that you are in, this trial that you're in that may be different than you've ever seen, maybe you just don't know what's next, the gospel is still true. God is still remaking you. God is still moving. Scripture says he started a good work in you. He is not going to stop doing that good work in you until you are perfect. Still cares. The Holy Spirit is still interceding for you when you can't even feel it. With groanings too deep for words, Romans 8 says. The whole thing is still true. What's really important when you walk through difficult things, is having people are, are, that are around you that can remind you of what is true. What's real. I remember a time when I was in college where I got lost in my head. I've talked about it up here many times before, so I won't go deep into that. And I had this just broken piece of faith I didn't know it was real anymore. I didn't know what was not real. I didn't know if God was real. But it was in that season that I had an amazing group of friends in college that came around me, and they let me borrow some of their faith. So, Davis, you don't have a lot of faith right now to stand on. You can borrow some of ours. We moved together. So if you're in here this morning and you don't have a lot of faith right now, you can have some of mine. You can borrow some of mine. The gospel is still true. The last line hasn't been said. He's still making you. And that's what Jesus was telling this man in the moment. And he continues. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except for Peter and James and John and the father and the mother of the child. And they were all weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. They laughed at him because they knew that she was dead. Jesus and his crew, they enter uh, the house. It is filled with mourners. It is filled with weeping. And how many of you have ever entered the house where someone has recently died before? The utter shock. I remember when I was 12, um, one of my good neighbor boy friends, he was 15 at the time, he was uh, stabbed and murdered the night before. I hadn't really had a big experience with death up until that point. I remember with my family, we went over to the uh, family's house, 
and just the utter look of shock and horror and just raw emotion that happened because of this. That's what's happening here. That's the gravity of the situation. And Jesus enters into the situation and he says, do not cry, she's not dead, she's sleeping. And they all laugh because they're like, this is a really awkward situation. We all know she's dead, Jesus. Like, this is awkward. Everyone probably assumes he's making an ill-timed, inappropriate joke. The text continues. He ignores their, their laughter, and he's taking her, the girl, by the hand. He calls, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once and directed, and he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Jesus comes into the situation. He raises this girl from the dead, and all of a sudden, death has worked backwards here. Life came out of death. She is healed. And I think it's important for us to uh, not misunderstand this passage because I've seen people use both of these uh, texts this morning as the basis for if you believe God will heal you, then he has to heal you. Or if you just send money to this church, then, uh, we, then it'll show you have enough faith and God will heal you. That's not what's being said here. Not the basis for that. Anybody who tells you that is lying to you. And any pastor who tells you to send money for healing is going to have a really rough day on Judgment Day. What this passage does is highlight the things that we have been studying for the past few weeks. Two major things. And I'll close with this. The first is that Jesus is Lord of all things. That's what chapter 8's been getting at, has been building to, is that Jesus is Lord of all things. A couple weeks ago, we talked about Jesus healing the storm on the Sea of Galilee. And what that text shows is that Jesus has power over nature. In the last uh, message, we talked about uh, Jesus healing the man with a demonic spirit. And what this text shows is that Jesus has power over the demonic realm. And this week, we talked about a woman with a disease and a person who had died, and Jesus can fix those things. He has power over death. He has power over disease. And what Luke is building to in this grand crescendo is that Jesus is over all. There is no problem in your life. There's no stronghold of sin in your heart. There's no issue in your marriage or in your children or your job or your country that's too strong for him. There isn't. He is over all. But maybe you're in here this morning like, Davis, I get it. God's all-powerful. He can do anything. Like, I totally get it. But why would he help me? He's always felt distant from me. I want to tell you something again. That's a lie from the very pit of hell. He's not distant. He's not far away. We're getting ready to celebrate this Christmas season. And next, next week, actually, and Christmas is the one truth we need in, in reference to this lie is that Christmas is a time where we celebrate the fact that the Word became flesh. That the distant God who made all things, all stars and galaxies and supernovas and all of those things became man, became near, 
became close, became killable. And he didn't stop there. He walked all the way to Golgotha and he died for you on a cross. He bled out so that you could be forgiven while you were still his worst enemy. In fact, Romans 5.10 says, For if while we were enemies, God reconcil- we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, how much more, now that we are reconciled, that we have been saved, shall we be saved by his life? He says, if, if, if God was able to forgive you when you were his worst enemy, how much more are, is God going to take care of us now that we're his children? Not giving up on you. He's overall. And the final thing this text talks about is the importance and the role of faith as we walk this journey with Christ. It's important for us to mention that Jesus is not our last resort. He's not the guy that we're going to call on. He's the emergency eject button. Christ is our first option. He is over all. He is the cornerstone of our faith, the object of our faith. That walking with Christ is not a faith of convenience. In our society, we have this American Christianity that goes to church on Sunday. We might even say, in God we trust, but if we're really honest, we depend on ourselves a lot. That's not the faith that Jesus is talking about or calling on. He is calling for our desperate faith. The desperate faith that says, without you, I don't get my next breath. The desperate faith that says, without you, I don't have my next heartbeat. Because that's the reality. Faith that leans on God in the actuality. That every moment that we are alive, that every heartbeat that we have, that every breath that fills our lungs and releases again is a reminder that God's grace is still present and he's not done with you yet. His story is not done in you yet. He's overall. He calls us to walk with him and that should lead us to worship and awe. Church, I ask as we close here. Where do you find your healing? Pray. Thank you for joining us for this week's message here at Corner Bible Church. If you would like more audio resources, please follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. Or you can go online and visit us on our webpage at cornerbiblechurch.com.